Welcome to Building an Empire State of Mind, the podcast for investors and entrepreneurs looking to scale and grow their business while developing the mindset to do it. You're in the right place if you're ready to multiply your money and level up your mindset. Your hosts, Carly Grunman and Jennifer Champion, are on a mission to help a million people reach financial freedom. Today's guest, Julie Roy, is a seasoned business leader with several multi-million dollar exits and $600 million in assets under management. She is an infectious speaker who offers invaluable wisdom and practical takeaways. She shares how her wealth building strategies led to 100% passive income, tax reduction, and fulfilling family dreams. Julie and her husband, Beau, will complete their family legacy goal of traveling to all seven continents together by the end of 2023. Let's welcome Julie. Thank you everyone for joining us today on Building an Empire State of Mind. We have Julie Roy. Hello, Julie. Hi guys. Carly and I are both excited to hear about your personal journey and where you started and how you now have $600 million in assets under management. Nice. Yeah. So, okay. Well, it's a long story, so hopefully you have time. I'll try to make it quick. So <laughs> I actually started as an entrepreneur. I opened a private Montessori school in the basement of a church with a $25,000 loan from a guy named Malcolm Banks, and it was a loan at 19%. It's kind of a funny story, but obviously I didn't know about loan sharks in those days. I was young and just super motivated and just wanted wanted the next thing, you know, um, I knew, I think in my heart that I, it was just not a really great employee ever. Um, I was always telling everyone what we should do better and how we could be more efficient. And I don't think that was appreciated as much as I would have liked it to be. Um, so I, my parent kind of backing up, my mom and dad are both immigrants from Italy. So I was first generation Canadian. Um, they moved from Italy to through New York, through Detroit to Windsor, Ontario, Canada. So I am born and raised Canadian. Um, so our family came from a really hardworking, um, very ethics based background, right? Um, you know, work hard and you'll get you'll get things right. That sort of was the mindset we were raised on um, in terms of having a lot. We were very working class. Um, my mom actually, when we were young, my dad left. So it was my mom and me and my brother. And so she worked sometimes two and three jobs, most of our life, two jobs for sure, sometimes three, 7am till 10pm. So I kind of was responsible for my brother had a key, you know, came home, did the lunch thing. And my grandparents were super involved and helped uh, raise us because our my, obviously my dad wasn't really around and my mom was working. So, um, so yeah, so it was, we were definitely not in a position of, um, you know, money or super awesome financial, uh, situation by any means we worked hard though. And even, um, when I was young, I always found jobs to supplement my income, like, because my mom didn't really have the money for us to buy all the things we wanted. Right. And so I started, really entrepreneuring myself out as as a babysitter really young. And then I was like babysitting the whole block. And then summers I would like cut the lawn for um, the park situation in our 
community. I ended up working, uh, digging graves at Heavenly Rest Cemetery for a few summers because it was great money. Um, so really just did what it took, right? Um, and then during university, I went to school away for a bit for some soccer and then came home. But when I was working in college, um, we call it university in Canada. So I'm always like trying to do both sides here. I was working in a Montessori preschool before and after school because kids was just my jam and it was easy and I loved it. And when we start, when I started working in there, I was like, wow, this is an incredible learning environment. Like if only all kids could have this, like this, you know, hands-on super emergent, like it, um, they could ask questions and be inquisitive and just like learn about what they love. I'm like, man, this is the ultimate way to, to go to school. And so I always said in my head, oh, at one point when I have kids, I'm definitely going to put them in Montessori like this. I was young. Right. And then, so I was in law school. I hated it. It was terrible. And, but of course, when you come from an immigrant family, that's kind of working class, they want you to do better. So doctor, lawyer, like these are the things they kind of put in your head from when you're really long, young, like you have the gift of gab, you're going to be a lawyer. Oh, you're really smart. You're going to be a doctor. You know, that was sort of like the compartments we were put in to try to like, I think be better than, and not have as much stress about money and finances as our parents. So long story short, <laughs> I went the lawyer route. It was terrible. Like literally I am a people person and love like conversation and, you know, critical thinking, all the things that it was very like remote, uh, like just studying, memorizing, rote learning. Like it was not my jam. Anyways, I quit. It was horrible. Everybody was not happy. Um, and I went to, uh, like early education. So my mom was like, Julie, this is going to be so hard for you. Like teachers don't make any money. You're going to be struggling. And, you know, I mean, she, she meant absolutely best for me from what they knew. Right. And so when I started the school and no one was really impressed, um, except my poor husband around here somewhere, but he was then my boyfriend. So we had been, we've been together 30 years, but married 20 now. So it's been a long haul. Yeah. So he actually signed the loan in Malcolm Banks's office with me because I couldn't get the loan. And so Malcolm said to Bo, you better love this girl because, um, you know, if she doesn't pay for it, we're going to come for you. <laughs> so what kind of motivation do you need more than that to make sure you pay that loan? So in the first year we paid Malcolm back, um, Bo was actually in school to be a doctor. So he's a child psych. Um, so he was doing his practicum and his, all his interning and, you know, all his stuff that he had to do. So we weren't making any money. I mean, it was, you know, we were running actually to put his check in the bank to pay the girls at the school. So it was like a lot of that in the beginning. So that's how we started. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of background anyways on, um, yeah, on sort of our background. Same with him. His parents were teachers. They were probably better off than we were like middle to higher, you know, in Canada, teachers do make decent money, especially, um, if you're elementary teachers. So um, he came from more of that um, background, but again, working, right? Working class, um, you know, not, not huge amounts of wealth or, um, you know, wealth-based practices, I guess. So, yeah. I find okay. it so interesting that you were in law school because I think you have way too much personality to be a lawyer. So Yeah, well, I found that out real quick. Um, so, you know, I did really well in school. So I think it was just natural. Like those were the two directions to go in, right? If you wanted to make money, um, you know, at that time it was like, 
we looked at a yearly salary as everything, right? I mean, like a guaranteed yearly salary when you're struggling or when you uh, are working two and three jobs to make what you think is a decent living. Like even when I was in college, I was working at the Montessori before and after school. I was working at a pizza place. I was working at the market. Like I was working like numerous amounts of jobs because that's what I saw made survival happen, right? Like I was like, my mom's bust in here. She's like kicking butt, working all these jobs. You know, we have a house, right? So um, although, you know, I didn't really realize what that took, you know, when you're young, you're just like, oh, my mom's like super hard worker, like ethics, right? We got to work hard to get what we want. And so, um, which is generally true, um, especially in that situation. But it was very interesting that when I got into that, sort of law school arena, I was like, man, this is, I'm going to hate my life. Like literally I'm going to wake up every day and be like, man, it's going to be a long 50 years of this. Right. And so I was like, I don't care. I'm just not doing it. <laughs> and, so, and, and that's just not really, you know, uh, accepted easily. Right. Especially when people are helping you pay education and working really hard for the next generation to do better than where they came from so it, it was a struggle for sure yeah well I, I think that like in the hierarchy of careers like being a lawyer being a doctor is kind of like you hit your peak and I know growing up being an entrepreneur was never on that like hierarchy scale in my family either so I can only imagine the uh the feedback yeah. you got when you made that decision yeah. And what I was going to tell you, I didn't really tell you this in the beginning, but my parents owned, so my grandparents and parents were entrepreneurial. So my grandpa, he was both of my grandparents on both sides were prisoners of war left, you know, Germany in um, a really bad times to escape basically. Right. And so my one grandpa uh, was a barber and the other grandpa worked more farmland, tomatoes, siding, roofing, like labor. But my parents, um, when they came over, my mom's mom, she actually was entrepreneurial in her own mind about real estate and things like that. So my grandpa came to Canada with my grandma. They opened a barbershop. So, I mean, he opened his own shop. So he was entrepreneurial and they were in a little section of um Windsor where um, they owned the bottom like store and then the top were apartments right and so it was kind of like our first multifamily you know the intro anyways to real estate but um, they kind of that's where it ended right so they owned the barbershop and then my parents opened a hardware store next door to the barbershop so when I was little I was constantly at the till, helping the customers, getting the paint. Like, you know, I just, I, I was like so happy to wait on people and talk to everyone coming in. I'd go upstairs and pretend I was on the like accounting machines, you know? So I think I always had the entrepreneurial vibe and genetics around me, even though it wasn't to the degree of like where, you know, we're at now, but my parents lost the business in the recession. So um, that's when sort of everything started happening, their marriage, fail, like, you know, all the things, right? Um, but they had a partnership with um, another couple and it was just not enough for both families and stuff went south. And so I watched um, entrepreneurship happen and then like a full loss of everything, right? And even as an entrepreneur, they weren't, I wouldn't say we were 
doing amazingly well, but it was definitely better than the post situation. But I think seeing that too does initiate some fears. Even if you felt like you wanted to be entrepreneurial, it was like, even in them, right? Well, don't go down that road. There's so much risk. We lost every, you know, like I don't know if that was actually communicated, but it was kind of the underlying um, vibe. And so, so in some sense, you know, we had entrepreneurship or entrepreneurial beginnings, but I think the standard route to not losing everything was find a job that you can rely on, right? That's going to give you that salary that is guaranteed. And so, as you know, entrepreneurship is very much not guaranteed and you're constantly chasing, um, you know, whatever. So, um, so I think that was, you know, uh, genetically, I definitely think we have the entrepreneurial vibe. My brother owns his own business as well. Um, but you know, there is that underlying, uh, uncertainty in entrepreneurship. So how with that, as like your mindset going into owning your first Montessori, how did, were you able to like tap into that and get to where I think you said it was like a $12 million exit? Like, how were you able to overcome that? Yeah. So the, the, um, so I had a couple exits actually, my first exit was in Canada, but I think from a mindset point of view, I have always been really strong, um, in my mindset. Um, I've been super fixated and obsessed with my success. Like from day one, I was, there's, there's been no option for failure. Um, it was just not a thing. And failure was for me never going to happen unless I quit. And so we talk about that with our kids every day that failure is not, um, we don't talk about failure. We talk about lessons, like what lesson did you learn today? You know, um, and we really focus on the fact that like, you're only failing if you're quitting, right? And if you're quitting something, that means you're done giving it any effort. And that's what failure is in our house. And so if you are, um, if you're learning lessons, it's not failure, you know? And so I feel like the whole time I learned a lot of lessons, right? I learned a lot. I was handed a lot of lessons, um, especially early in my entrepreneurial journey. Cause I just, you know, I just didn't know what I didn't know. And so, um, I feel like though my mindset has always been, um, just, yeah, super obsessed with my success and like no option too. that's just not been a thing for me. Like, sorry, like even paying Malcolm, I was like, yeah, we're paying Malcolm. Like what other option do we have? Like, you're not dying and we're going to figure this out. Right. Um, mm -hmm. so increase your tuition, add more kids, like add an extra room in the, whatever, right. We're going to figure this out. And so, um, and I'm a one-on-one -on -one client of Grant Cardone and I, you know, he's my coach and I have a lot of people around me that are really super smart. And I always try to be in rooms with people that are way smarter and way better than me. Um, but one of the things he always says was he said, you know, you have to be obsessed with your success. And I said, like, that's what I have really truly been um, looking back. Like I've just been super obsessed um, and it didn't matter. Like a lot of noise, all the things happening, all the naysayers, all the people, I was still like, yeah, it's okay. I'm doing my thing. You do yours. Like you do you boo, <laughs> you know, and we'll just keep doing us. And um, yeah, there's a lot of people that are going to try to get in your way and get in your head and family shit and trauma and all kinds of stuff that people come up uh, through life with. But 
Um, I always say your dream has to be bigger than your nightmare. That's something we talk about all the time. And the nightmare is always there in the, you know, somewhere, but my dream is just so much bigger that it overshadows, you know, seeing any of that nightmare. And I think that's really important, you know, to focus on. Um, and we always work backwards, like with the end in mind. So our end was always like a really huge, big exit with a 100% passive income tax-free life. And the ability to travel wherever we want and we're there, which, you know, that was the end. Um, now I'm making a new end. <laughs> so like, I think you just keep upgrading your end, but, but yeah, mindset is everything. I'd say it's 99% of, you know, success for entrepreneurs um, is where their mindset is at and how much they can manipulate and control their mindset. Um, I feel like, that is absolutely a conscious decision that I make every morning when I get up. Um, I practice gratitude. I am super thankful. I'm always grateful for everything we have. But one of the biggest things that I do every morning is like, what am I going to do to move ourselves, you know, forward today? What are the three things that I need to get done, you know, to move us closer to this next new end game or new goal? And so um, it's kind of a game for me. <laughs> Now, um, uh, I just play this sort of mindset, um, you know, game or world that I live in, and it seems to serve us all pretty well. Um, but I think being transparent about it too, like there are hard days, like, I'm not going to say that, you know, this shit was easy. Sorry. I'm like the worst with language, but, um, like it's not easy. And there was days where, you know, you, you really have to, you have to really push yourself to be in that space. Um, you know, days where Bo's running from his job to get to our bank in time to pay the teachers so that their their checks aren't bouncing. Um, the first year of business is horrible. The second year is okay. The third year is when you start to see some light. Um, if you're doing all the processes, if you're putting time and money into people, if you're, you know, creating profound profit, right? Like you're, these are all the things you're focusing on in the first three years. And so after the third year, you start to feel like you're getting over this hump and then you're like, okay, am I going to stay here or am I going to do this again to get to the next level? And that meant, you know, putting more time and resources. And so I feel like the entrepreneurial game for me, um, is why I'm super addicted to it because there isn't an end game really. Right. So every time I get to the end, I make another new goal or another new plan. And so, um, I, I truly think that this, um, infinite game that I play with myself and that is in, you know, is in my mind, um, is what really fuels me to continue to serve people, to continue to do better, to continue to offer opportunity, whatever it is, right? I think it's, it is fully 99% mindset. 1% yeah. definitely is work and all the other things, but if you don't have the right mindset, you just can't get to that layer, right? That, what, that next exceptional layer that you need to get to. I love well, that you I said that too. Oh, sorry. Go, Go ahead. ahead. Um, so I heard something, someone say this morning, like so many people struggle with that consistency and that mindset. And they said, your why has to be bigger than, and your goals have to be so big that you're like, there is not room to stop. So yeah. 
Yeah. Like go big or go bigger, you know, all the things. Um, yeah. If you, if you can't see it, no one around you is going to see that. So you have to present this, whatever your, your vision is in your mind, whatever you feel like you want to get to in that end game, or if there isn't an end game, you have to be transparent about the infinite game with your family, you know, your friends, like Bono's every time I say, you know, oh, we're going to, okay, I think we should like chill for a bit. He's like, right. So the next uh -huh. best thing, which sure. is in a minute from now, you know, um, and I have ADHD and I absolutely have 50, like right now I have 50 tabs open, you know, um, I, I function by uh, delusional misfunction basically. And so but it gets me to, you know, to where I need to go. Uh, you were saying something, Jen? Oh, I, it's just, yeah, it's so interesting. Like Seth is always like, so is there an end? And I'm like, no, there's no end. It, it's just constantly changing and moving. And he's like, can there one day be an end? I was like, I think it'll just look different, right? Like, I don't think I'll ever stop, you know, like quote unquote working, but it just, it just changes. Right. And I would say that you, I feel like you're like describing me. I think for all of my life, I've always been super obsessed with like my results mm -hmm. and like how my life's going sports, everything, like always had to be the captain, always had to do this. There's a and little bit of competitive nature in us, just a little, yeah. you know, yeah. we have a little competition in our strengths. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I think honestly, um, if you're an entrepreneur and you don't have that, you're not going to be successful. I think I, I, that, yeah, go I ahead. Maybe successful to a point, right? But I don't think that you'll see, you know, someone who doesn't have that competitive nature go like leaps and bounds past other entrepreneurs, right? And you know what we were talking about before earlier, I think there's different levels. Like for the people who, you know, want to, work for themselves that's that's one level of entrepreneur and essentially you're just replacing you know your normal nine to five with a job for yourself but for the ones who want to you know like yourself re retire right live passively that's like a whole other level that if you aren't competitive I, I don't think you get to that level right yeah and I think that like massive action um you know uh fast, massive action for me. Um, you know, I'm a super fast actor, um, with everything and I'm a super fast implementer and I'm an early adopter, uh, definitely game changing for me in my entrepreneurial career. Um, you know, someone once said to me, I believe it's your ability to, um, act so quickly and make decisions so quickly on, you like you're you're so clear right about what it is you want and that time catapults you into massive action and so i truly believe you know mindset for sure massive action is um a game changer in the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial world i feel like um not being um stuck in the analysis paralysis I see many entrepreneurs get into and not get out of sort of that middle road like we've made it um you know we don't want to risk anymore you know we're just not ready to like uh, put our neck out again you know all that that's where you become sort of like the status quo of entrepreneurial um folks or journeys 
I feel like the 1% of entrepreneurs that really want massive results and massive, just massive, I'm a maximizer. So everything to me is maximizing, you know, um, I was never like, oh, we're good here. You know, I was like finishing one thing, starting another, finishing this, the other projects on this, and there's one coming this way. And I felt like I was constantly in like a Jetsons movie where I was like, oh yeah, this is like what's happening tomorrow. I'm going to start that today, you know? Um, and that's just been my vibe. And, you know, I think it's a, it's so, I, so it's funny. I talked to Grant and he's like, I said, you know, I think I have like attention, you know, he's like, he, first of all, it's not a deficit. That's ridiculous. He's like, it's a superpower. He's like the ability for us to hyper-focus on all the things we want and need in life. He's like, that is like a, a huge gift. Like, don't let anyone ever tell you that it's a disorder or a deficit. And I was like, man, like, it's true. I could never do what I've done or what I do on a daily basis if I was normal, for sure. You know, I hate to say that, but it's like, it's really what it, it is. I mean, be normal. right. I don't, I mean, I love being like this. Like I, it, it just fuels me. Right. I, I'm a mom of four. I'm cooking protein muffins, you know, in between my zooms, I'm, I threw two loads of laundry in, did two calls this morning, got prepped for this. Like it's nonstop, right. We're going away next week. We, I, I think I talked to you about our family goals. You can probably see them, but they're at the doorway, that black um, oh, that's cool. As soon as we come in, it's on a huge iron board and it's like all of our family mission, vision values and our core values. And one of them is traveling the world together. Right. And we are going to be finishing our last continent in December. So we're going to Antarctica. So like, you know, these types of goals, even my family life goals are massive. Like, it's not just like, I'm not massive in one area. I'm like, everything is max, you know, at the max. So um, yeah, I don't know if that's good or bad, but it, I love it. You know, I love being, I don't know, a lot <laughs> well, for your family. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes they, they're probably like, Oh my God, mom, please, you know, <laughs> um, like slow down. Or do we have to do all this stuff? But at the end of the day, they come back and they're always like, wow, that was an amazing experience. Or, you know, they're, they're cranky about it during the time. And then they'll come home and be like, Oh, you know, I think I might want to study in Japan. I'm like, ah, and the whole time I was there, you're cranky about missing golf and whatever. And that, but I know what they're getting right. And so for me, I think that's the other thing, like all the things I didn't have and couldn't do, I wanted to be sure that I could give them, you know, so. So how did you go from like owning Montessori's and how did, how did that roll into, you know, commercial real estate and now you and your husband, I think primarily focus on like triple net assets, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we always started with, um, the schools. So in the beginning, we leased, obviously we had, you know, we leased from the church and then we leased, um, uh, from like a strip mall, you know, it was sort of like we built up that, but when we first had the ability to partner with a developer and build one of our own schools in Canada, um, that we actually could own, that was sort of the, the start of the never ending love, you know, for real estate and all things passive income. And so at first there wasn't a lot of passive income because we are paying, you know, obviously our holding company was ourselves that owned the real estate, but then we paid rent as a school to our holding company and created a management company and all the things. So, but I was like, wow, this is a great long-term plan. 
you know, owning real estate and having people pay you rent and, you know, it pays the mortgage or any debt that you have and you're making the upside and what a great way to, you know, to not work and have income. And so that start, sort of started our love for it. So we started to own our own locations and sale lease back, they're called, which, you know, is a very, very standard triple minute um, transaction. And then we went from there um, to starting to basically um, create this real estate portfolio. And then when we sold, we were landlords in Canada for a while of the locations. And so that gave us passive income. And then when we redid the whole thing again, um, we ended up, I did a lot of things in between. I owned some, or ran some long-term care, did some other stuff. It was sad. And so um, got, wanted to get back into Montessori, but obviously had a non-compete. Found these schools in Omaha via a broker, moved there. Well, I went every Monday through Thursday, went to Omaha, built these schools, created this sort of empire again, built the schools again to 10. Sorry, we sold to private equity in Canada, sold again to private equity in 2021. But at that time, we had owned all the real estate. So we coupled the sale of the schools to um, the private equity company with all of the real estate. We sold the real estate to a REIT who then bought the triple net leases in place. And so that multiple was huge um, and was, you know, a really great exit. So we took all the real estate money, 1031 it into a bunch of triple net properties. So like Starbucks, O'Reilly's, um, Taco Bell's, like all the things. And so every month they just pay us the rent. What's great about it is they're corporate guaranteed. So it's awesome. The leases are, you know, solid. They have rental increases every year. So, I mean, it's combating inflation. It's paying us every month. So we live 100% passively now from the money that um, we, we used from the real estate part of the sale. And then um, we did a lot of LP investing after initially into multifamily to eradicate the tax that we received from the big bill of passive income. And then now we sort of have a trifecta. The triple net brings us our cash flow. The multifamily eradicates the tax from the triple net. And then we use um, storage and industrial for longer term IRR and some different capital gain exits from for the three of them. So we feel like we have created the perfect trifecta of investing um, and it's working really well. So, yeah. yeah. So what I'm hearing is I need to start a Montessori. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think like any and, business, right? Any business that yeah. you do, I think having like knowing now what I knew then too, and also the, um, it's, it is a challenge in Canada. I will be honest. So um, we did not have the options for the tax incentives initiatives like um, we do here, for sure. There is obviously no 1031ing. There's no eradication of all your passive income through purchasing multifamily, right? Um, I feel like in Canada, it's definitely harder to create wealth um, in Canada just because of the way our system is set up. And our taxation and, um, you know, the awarding of entrepreneurs isn't really pri like primary or paramount in Canada, where I feel like the U.S. gives a lot of incentives for creating housing, for um, oil and gas, for, you know, different avenues, agriculture, for example. There's ways to eradicate your tax if you're doing what the government doesn't want to do, for example, creating housing, right? And so... Um, we just never had those opportunities in Canada. So the ability to create wealth was more challenging in Canada. It was just harder. You had to work a lot more. And, you know, 60% or so of our income was being taxed, you know, away from us, right? So 
now being able to keep that income creates much, um, you know, much quicker and larger amounts of wealth in shorter amounts of time. So yeah, mm -hmm, that was a struggle for us for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, you know, being a builder, there are some incentives, like there's a, there's a financing program right now and that's about it. But when it comes to the government, it's just like, oh, we're going to put this fee and then this fee and then this. And then I don't know why housing's so expensive and no one can afford to live here. I'm like, because of you, <laughs> like, this is why a developer uh, can't like, all those costs. In right? the taxes, like the GST, then the HST, then the, I don't know, PST, like you guys have a lot more, um, just layers of taxation than we ever had. And so I feel like definitely that that was a struggle with trying to manage like a 30% tax bill each, right? On my business and his, he had a huge, large practice um, in Canada. So like, you know, I don't remember how many patients, but like a lot. All right. And so, you know, he was being taxed at the same level. I think it was 37% or 38 at the time, each of us. So like 60% or more of our money was just going right to taxation. And there was really no loopholes or nothing we could invest in to eradicate it at all. Right. I mean, it was just like, it was just expected that you're, you're just paying for that. So when we came here, we didn't really understand or know about all the um, the options. And so when we started to get in rooms with people, you know, and be in places of um, what I call grandeur, like rooms that people are doing just way more, right? Um, we started hearing about this stuff. And I was like, this has to be illegal. There's no way. Because, you know, coming from Canada, that wasn't a thing. And they were like, yeah. Julie, like, you should not be paying money on that passive income. Like, here's what you do. And, da, da, da. and I was like, like what, what are you talking about? And so it, it definitely, you know, it increased our income immediately almost by 30%. I mean, that's huge. So, um, so there's just a lot of things I think that the U.S. Um, affords, like for entrepreneurship and business, I feel like it is very business friendly, especially certain states, right? So we have a lot of states that are, um, that are very business and landlord friendly. Yeah. We tend to stay in those states for business and for, you know, purchasing real estate as well. And it's not a political thing. It's just really just, you know, who's paying rent and who's able to, you know, support entrepreneurs through pandemics and things of that nature. So, yeah. I always like to call it the path of least resistance. People yeah, are like, yeah. why? So I'm like, because they want me there. <laughs> why would I go to the state where they don't want me? Right. Like, why would you go where there's going to be a struggle and a fight? It's already hard enough as an entrepreneur. Like, why are we going to put ourselves in the fire that, you know, is already bigger than the fire that we have? So, yeah, yeah. sure. So what do you think is next for you? Do you have like your next like big goal or milestone that you're working towards? Yeah. So there's a couple vision board projects I currently have going on. I have stuff all over my house. It's like crazy. I love that it's not wide. You're like a few more. <laughs> a few more projects. Yeah. So um, one of the big projects is, so in this sort of second half of my life, I call it, because um, I'll be 50, December 29th. So the day we get home from our last continent. Yeah. 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 So, mm -hmm. so I thought like, early 40. Yeah, no, I know people are like, I, I have a son that's 20, right? Um, He's 19. He'll be 20 yeah. in April. And when we're out, people are like, 
not sure. And I'm like, dude, this is my kid. Like I'm not a sugar mama, but it's funny because we get that a lot. And it's, we have good genes, thankfully in our family, like everybody looks really young and good. And my grandma's like 94 and everyone, she's still dancing and cooking for everyone. And like, she's independent, like knock on wood. I'm, you know, I'm hoping that my genetic track is very similar and we're crazy. You know, we, I think I have that there's some genes for sure, but all of our family actually, like my mom looks young, my dad looks young. Like it's, you know, I don't know. I say it's a blessing. <laughs> Hopefully we're all, we remain all healthy. And, you know, obviously that's the, the three most important things for us are obviously first and foremost, our health. And so, um, so thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, I'll be 50 December 29th. We'll be finishing our last continent. And I forget what the question was even now <laughs> about, about genetics, but, um, just like what, what's, what's next for you? Like what's the best? the next yeah. big like milestone you're working So for. this next half of my life, I'm really, um, we feel really committed to helping others. So one of our big things is generosity breeds abundance and adversity breeds abundance. And we've done the adversity breeding abundance part. I mean, we're probably always going to have that no matter what, but the generosity piece, like we feel like we have been blessed by being in rooms and paying for mentorships and just getting a lot of really great training through many different avenues and people. And we feel like it's our duty to give back and to, you know, not everyone can afford, you know, $350,000 in mentorships or whatever. So we feel like we are, we've been sort of put here as a conduit, right. To help others get that for a fraction of the price or whatever, right? Getting our knowledge, getting all the knowledge that we've paid for, um, you know, accessible to them, right? And so I feel like this next half for me, and we've done coaching always and forever. I mean, it's just in us, right? Bo's a therapist and I'm, I've been a long line of education. And so I feel like one of the things that people have always said about us is we've been super generous with our time, right? And our education. And so I feel like this next half, we can even be more generous and impact many more people because we have more time. And so um, I started a program called Wealth Masters. So we have a limited number of couples, uh, business couples that want to scale to platform or exit their businesses. Um, and create generational wealth. And so that is what we're focused on. Um, kind of our yearly goal will be to help at minimum this, you know, group of people intimately. So it is full already. It, it filled in the first week we offered it um, because we do do a lot of one-on-one -on -one stuff, but I feel like we want to now do one to masses more helping more people if we can. And so um, I just, we just redid our brand. Um, so we're doing a lot more speaking. I have a really, I have a book coming out. Um, so that's going to be a pretty big thing. Um, it comes out on mother's day next year, but we're talking a lot, uh, a lot of PR is happening up until that point. So that's going to keep us busy as well. Um, as well, obviously we do the real estate investing and syndication. So we offer folks the opportunity to come in with us on triple net properties um, and multifamily. So to help, you know, to help the folks that we're helping also <laughs> receive tax benefits. 
And so our three pillars are really around coaching and teaching. We're doing authorship and speaking engagements to get this message out about, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do as an entrepreneur to put yourself in a better space mindset, right? All the things. Um, and then the last part of, you know, just creating generational wealth through tax mitigation, through investments, through changing your mindset on your money trauma, like that, that the book is basically a, a memoir slash business uh, self-help book. Basically, it's going to teach kind of what we did and how we did it. And I feel like, yeah, so the next things are going to be really around, around that. Um, personally, uh, Beach House is definitely next for me. Uh, we will definitely be leaving Omaha and we will be living on the beach and I will have my beachfront house. Um, that is, you know, that is something that is a non-negotiable and it's going to happen. We're just waiting more. We could do it now, but we're waiting for our kids because we moved them now. This will be twice and middle school is a hard move. And my one son loves it here. My daughter would be fine. Like I said, going anywhere, but, um, so really a timing thing for that. Um, so that's a, that's a big personal vision board next goal thing. Um, other than that, um, I think professionally just continuing to level up my knowledge and partnering with people, um, impacting, right. Creating more impact, um, being more available, really creating a return on life for us and those around us. That's sort of where we're at now. I think that's great. And so many people are always, you know, even in just like what I've done and stuff, people are like, like, why do you help people? I'm like, because it's available. Like, I, I love to do it. I, I've had people help me. So why not give that back? Right. So I think it's great that you and your husband um, are doing the one to masses because there's so much people can learn from other people's experiences and then just have more access to both of you and be able to learn that acceleration to generational wealth. So I'm yeah, excited. Yeah. And like the ability to compress the timelines, like we've made all the mistakes, like why would you want to do all that? Right. Um, the ability yeah. to just bring to you uh, the, the edited version of like all the stuff we did, right. All the mistakes that we you, we could help you avoid. Right. Um, yeah. The, the compression of timeline, had we known this is everybody's thing, right? If we knew now what we knew then, obviously we would be in a much better place. Um, and we did have a lot of people help us and we were super blessed and grateful for that. And so we do feel like paying that back is a non-negotiable, right? Um, but also I really just wish that I would have had a me at the time where I needed in certain levels of my growth. Um, yeah. As an entrepreneur, I just... I didn't have anyone that was able to teach us or show us to avoid the mistakes or to, you know, accelerate the path by doing things that we just didn't know about. Um, and so if I know, I feel like it's a sin or not like, you know, it, it would be hurtful to not offer that uh, to folks because the knowledge I have should be shared. Like we're on this earth. The only way we're all getting out of here is helping each other. Right. I mean, like, I feel like the best thing we can do is help others, right? I mean, I, I don't know what at the end of the day, what is more important than, um, you know, creating an environment where we're helping each other in this world. And so, yeah, so for us, it's it's just really something we're focused on now. That's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, as much as 
the information you provide, it's still up to those people to take it and do something with it, right? I always absolutely yeah. That many people, you know, like we talked about that analysis paralysis, right? Where they they have the information and they can do it, but there just isn't. They just don't take that step, right? So yeah. And and, and if you think about like everyone you know or everyone you don't know, you know, most people are non-action takers. There's a very small percentage that are actually going to infiltrate the information take the action and benefit from the information. And so even if you're creating an opportunity for 1% of the people you talk to, it's still 1% more than it was the day before, right? And so I always say like, it's not futile, it's not worthless. And the people that don't wanna take that advice, it doesn't mean that they don't hear your message, your message is just not for them right now. And that's okay. And I think once we figure that out, it's like you stop fighting the bring the horse to water, but can't make them drink. Like my mom was always saying that when we were young, like you can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And I'm like, it's so true. Like you can give them the water, but you're not going to put their head in the pail. You know, it's like you, if you want to take the drink and you want to buy the Kool-Aid or you want to, you know, you want to try this out you will, but if you're not going to, there's nothing I'm going to say or do to make that happen. And I think that the message is just maybe not at the right time or not for the right person. Right. And so once you start to kind of understand, um, where the message needs to go and where your time and efforts need to be, then you start to also delineate and reformulate, you know, who you talked about these things. Like some people, it's just not a conversation you're going to have with them. Right. Like Legacy wealth is not on everybody's, you know, things to do list, right? So, and it's okay. Um, you know, you can talk to them and if they're interested, then you engage. And if not, then you just go to the next subject on like what's on TV or whatever. So, yeah. I will, I'll link everything in the show notes, but in terms of wealth masters and it being full, do you, do you guys have a wait list or how would someone. Yeah, so we're taking a wait list for 2025 now, um, but okay. we do. Um, we use intro.co. It's like this app that we use for coaching, like one-on-one or emergent coaching. Like, so some people will be like, Hey, I'm going to buy this business. I need you to look at these finance, like financials. Do you have time? And I'll just say, Hey, go on my intro and just book, book the call. And what I'll do is they'll book the time and either we'll use it on the call or I'll use it to look at the financials or give them feedback or whatever it is. So, um, that's easy. And, and sort of much more flexible, right? The other program is much more structured. It's a one-on-one every month. It's a group every month. It's three lives a year. It's a lot of commitment. So you have to be, there's a whole process for acceptance. It's a, it's a, an action taker, an action taker deal, you know, um, because we really, we don't want people in there that one, we can't help or two aren't going to help themselves. So it, it is really a commitment. Um, but the other stuff, you know, if you just need help with a, a few things, those other options are are more available. So, um, so yeah, yeah. If they want to, you know, look it over or whatever, that's cool. Um, nothing's really open right now for that program, but you know, it's something that they can, they could check into and maybe if it's not me, maybe it'll just give them an incentive to look for something similar, like an entrepreneurial mentor or whatever. Cause it's, I'm not going to be for everybody. You know what I mean? And some people will vibe with me and some people will be like, Whoa, that's just too much, you know? So, um, I feel like your mentor has to be on the same, like where, where you want to be is what type of mentor you should be like looking for. Um, if you're looking for a mentor that's at, or 
about the same level that you're at, that's not going to catapult you to that next level, right? Because they they don't know any better either. So um, always just keep looking for what it is that you would like to be in three to five years or two to four years, or, you know, like a, give yourselves a 24 month out period so you don't get frustrated, but look at what you want to do um, and then, you know, create a mentorship or find a mentor who can do that with you or for you or with you because they're not going to do it for you, but yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to get to know you even more and I look forward to getting you to know you even more in the years to come. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. And yeah, it was amazing meeting you and I vibed with you right away. So I knew that it would be the start of many things to come. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you.